Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, this is Michael Waits with ATP Stories, and I am actually sitting in Launchpad in Bangkok. I'm here with the CEO and co-founder of Magic Box and the CEO and co-founder of Launchpad. I'm here with Vincent Setiwan. How are you, Vincent? Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. We've talked about this. I feel like for almost my entire childhood, <laughs> now that we can actually go ahead and do it, mm -hmm. I'm happy to be here. Great. Um, I did a lot of work. So yesterday was actually a sort of quintessential day for me in Bangkok. I rode my scooter here mm -hmm. in the rain, right? Mm. And it's important for me to point that out. One of the reasons why is, you know, Graham and I are traveling around the region trying to figure out what makes a great startup city. You would probably know this better than anybody because you're so deeply involved in it. And frankly... From my perspective, you've been deeply involved in this from the beginning, right? I mean, when did you open Launchpad originally? So Launchpad was open since, I think, late uh, 2012. 2012, right? So it's been around almost... Almost five years. Five years, yeah. And how about Magic Box? Magic Box is uh, a bit younger than that. It's about three years old now. Right. So um, it's about two years after we, we uh, opened Launchpad that we established uh, Magic Box. And it's actually like a spin-off from this other company that we did. Which um, was? Uh, Charge Concept. Okay. Uh, which was an app and like a game development company. Okay. Um, and then, but then we did mostly outsource work. And then we realized that, you know, we got to um, uh, outsource. It's, it's, um, it's capped. It doesn't have this, that kind of explosive growth. Right. So that's where we, um, uh, I mean, long story short, somewhere along that line, like uh, we figured that we're, we're into gaming and we're quite good at gaming, but um, we can't develop them as fast as some of the other company in the world. And the app business is is very global. Right? Like uh, you can release things just in one click and right. it goes worldwide. Yeah, so you're actually competing against um, not just the local market. You're competing against um, game developers in Japan, in Korea, in the states, in Finland, in in many many places. Right. Right. So. Um, we realize that we we don't uh, we don't want to fight with uh, or compete with um, uh, other companies in that uh, frontier. So, but what we have is we have the network, we have the know-how for uh, distributing uh, in the local market. We can do translation. So, um, why don't we just look for like something that's similar to what we want to build and then just you know uh, tinker around with it, make it fit the local market, and then distribute it um, into like uh, Southeast Asia instead. So we did we did that for uh, for a little while. Um, we did distribute a couple of games to I think ten countries in Southeast Asia. We did get to top ten in like I think six or seven countries wow. in Southeast Asia. So that was during the um, the peak days. Yeah, which was what probably two thousand two thousand fourteen fifteen yeah around there two thousand fourteen uh, fifteen was our best year. Fifteen was good. Yeah. So would you say were you competing with the PlayLab guys as well at some level because they were doing mobile games too? Yeah. So um, anything that's like in in the app and gaming business, right? Uh, when you're in the app store, um, uh, you're competing for space on the phone. Um, so right. anyone that's doing an app or a game uh, uh, is essentially competing um, um, against uh, some other person in that same industry. Because researchers, I think, like um, uh, said that like each person will only have play probably two games maximum at one time. Um, so, you know, uh, that's, that's like, what, f over 500 or 1,000 games released every day. <laughs> really? So, yeah. Yeah. And and um, so, um, and then the space <laughs> of the phone, there's only space for two. So think about the use the, of Just the odds against you, actually, yeah. Just the cost of acquisition and the, just the retention has got to be impossible. Yeah. yeah. And then, but then essentially, like, uh, we think of the market as, uh, it become more 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 competitive, more more of like a perfect competition rather than like um, uh, you know some somewhere with like a, a more room to differentiate. Right now, the room for differentiation is still there, but competition is just like higher. But then everyone in the industry, we're kind of like um, used to it. I think if you're not, then you're not going to be in the business. <laughs> so I would say, like, uh, to answer your question, I, th I say, like, yeah, we're, we're competing, but everyone is. Um, same as, like, uh, I'm competing with, like, anyone. Rovio. Rovio or any, like, even, like, some kids developing, like, a, a random game from, like... Uh, but you're competing with like, Dots and every other everything. game out there that's yeah. competing for space on the yeah. phone and then retention Correct. time for a Correct. gamer. Yeah. Can we back up a little bit? Go ahead. 
right? So where are you from originally? I want to go all the way to the beginning, right? Because okay. there's a story to get us to here. Oh, yeah, very and long I want to story. Find out, it's okay. Very you know, long story. <laughs> the, great, the greatest thing about a podcast is I have as much time as I want. Right. So, <laughs> so do you. Um, where where uh, are you from? I am from originally from Thailand. And, uh, my born and raised in Bangkok? Born and raised in Bangkok. Family is actually uh, uh, like Thai Chinese. Really? My mom's from Hong Kong. From Hong Kong? Yeah, my okay. mom's from Hong Kong. My dad is uh, Thai Chinese. And is he second generation, third generation? They are the second generation. I'm the third generation. Okay, so you're the same. You've been, your family's been in Thailand for as long as my family's been in the United States. Probably, yeah. Same, same. To about like... I'm third generation American. Okay. And probably about that's the interesting to me yeah yeah and then but we have this saying in a uh, uh, I've always got a chip on my shoulder because in, in Chinese sayings like third generation is the one that's gonna mess everything it's gonna blow everything so, up right um, that's something I'm trying not to make it happen and actually like uh, trying to uh, uh, make it uh, prove that you know actually well I, I don't know but my goal is I want to be able to um, uh, make at least my time uh, during like my time on earth or right. <laughs> when I spent um, doing businesses is uh, have a chance to actually catapult or grow or do something that's um, that would actually not make uh, uh, what like my grandfather has built like become smaller but actually right. bigger right. Um, be it like differentiate uh, 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 differentiating to different products or diversifying the investment or doing different things growing another arm or doing my own things and right. then like a you know, uh, doing all this stuff and then thinking of always thinking of ways to uh, create complementary products or, or whatnot. I know you have a sister. Yes, she's older or younger than she's you. She's older than me. Do Everyone says she's she looked younger. So. She does. I was, gonna, I was <laughs> presuming she was younger, which is why I asked. But do you have any brothers? No, I don't. So it's just the two of you. It's just the two of us. So is there a unique amount of pressure on you? Do mm. you feel anything about sort of being the third generation, oldest son, only son? Because uh, I know in my family there's definitely. lots of pressure on me, right? In a Jewish family, there's a lot of pressure mm, on the son. Mm. Just do something important. Do something big. I feel it. Mm. Do you it's feel any of that? Yeah, uh, huge expectation. Uh, but uh, whether it's uh, said out loud or well, most time in a family is said out loud, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or, or in a more subtle like uh, uh, perspective or ways. Right. Um, but it's always that there. Um, uh, the challenge is always there. Uh, I think it's for me. It's 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 difficult and um, uh, fun at the same time because like uh, this kind of pressure is what keeps me like uh, uh, going. Is one of the purpose I think uh, for. Uh, my life as well is like um, you know um, uh, I like me as a person like I want uh, to grow anything like uh, that that uh, other generation has built to be bigger also like um, also proving myself and then right. with all these expectations you know uh, uh, I need to it's, it's difficult because like when when you're doing things and it doesn't work out the way you planned and that's that's kind of like oh uh, the oh shit moment, <laughs> and uh, but um, uh, you gotta rebound from it. The, the, uh, but this is kind of the, the pressure that you know gives you give me purpose at least uh, to operate. To right. I mean, going. if you look at if you look at sort of patriarchal families globally, not mm. just in Thailand, mm. whether it's in the UK or in the United States, mm. the Rockefellers. You went to Carnegie Mellon, right? Yep. But the Carnegies as well. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you like there was not a straight line from the bottom left to the upper right of success. Mm. And whether it was that generation or the following generations, I know this from my own family. My grandfather was a very successful businessman. Right. Very. And did he pass that on to his kids? Not necessarily. They went mm. out and did other things. Mm. But there was like a gap, yes. which kind of, they blew it actually. So they blew the ability to take what my grandfather had built mm. and turn it into something bigger. They just mucked it up, which happens. And I then the next so. generation mm. kicked ass. Mm. That's me. <laughs> but it's more so my brother and my sisters. Right? <laughs> right, we had a bigger right. family. But we, we had a different kind of pressure. It's like we had the oh shit moment too. Like, oh no, it was there and now it's gone. It, but that's, I think that's life. Yeah, know? no, it is, it is. It's, it's a metaphor for life, right? interesting, yeah. That's, I think it's fascinating. Right, right. So right? I, I do share, I think, like a lot of that with you. Um, but I'm probably like learning more from you than <laughs> the other way around. I don't, I don't know if that's true. But tell me this. So 
You went to school, right? Yeah. What did you study in school? I studied uh, since high school. Was, actually, I went to a Thai school first in the beginning. Where did you so, go? I don't know the um, answer to this. Assumption. Actually. You did. Um, okay, college. So it's actually right around. Right it's over there, actually. Over. Yeah, I used over there. to walk over to, to Assumption this College building since when I was right since you were young. a kid. Yeah, I was a little kid, and in sixth grade, then I moved to an international school. Got it. Uh, ISB. Yep. Uh, I graduated twelfth uh, grade and went to. Uh, Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What did you study in, in Pittsburgh? Uh, I did information systems. Got it. Um, and also uh, did a master's there as well. Did a master's also of information systems management. Got it. But it's like a four-and-a-half-year program. So, so you did them together. It was combined yeah, yeah. BS program and MS program. MS, yeah. So Got it's it. like four-and-a-half years. So saved like a year-and-a-half. Of, uh, tuition. But that's intense, right? Carnegie Mellon is not exactly the easiest uh, place in the world to exist. You know what? Actually, um, it was. Uh, but then we, I was very well prepared for it from um, from high school. Fair enough. High because it's a really good program, right? And then um, we were we had to do, like to get into good universities. Like the parents like uh, always push us to do like your know, full IB pro- program, yep. AP, yep. and um, <laughs> that was excruciating. That was. That's that probably was, harder, actually. That was the hardest. I would say that's the hardest time I've ever studied in my life. And right. I went to uh, when I went to Carnegie Mellon, I actually had a pretty uh, easier. E- much easier time. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I can, fair enough. I can go out like um, <laughs> I had time to to exercise, to explore a city, hang out with friends. Um, whereas if it was here, it's just like studying, um, more studying, and then like. A, um, I was a tennis player as well. So oh, I didn't know that. Uh, did you play like college tennis, or you just did that? I sort was of going to, but I was I was very intense in high school. I was like um, in the varsity. I was number one in school, so I was like the. Um, I did a lot. I went to compete at like a national level, and then when I went to uh, CMU, like uh, I tried out for varsity. Did you really? And, yeah, and I I, I dropped out because um, I just realized that, um, you know. I had enough of the competition. It's hard. Um, oh yeah, and it was like I was playing uh, mostly men single, so uh, it's not a team sport. So you play tennis is like one on one, and when you play single, so if you win, then you uh, it's all on you. If right. you lose, it's all on you as it's well. It's kind of a lonely sport, right? It I mean, is. A lot of the professional tennis players say this. They go around the world. Mm. It looks really glamorous. Mm. Mm. It's pretty lonely. It's, it's quite lonely. So and uh, like also in Pittsburgh, like uh, it's a lot of. Rain and winter, snow. Um, oh, so sure. you know, playing tennis is quite uh, expensive. There, you gotta go find like an indoor court. And I think in, like uh, rent it for it's like forty bucks an hour. And back then, I was like, that's a lot of money anywhere at any time. Yeah. Actually. So so back then, back then I was not um, not willing to commit to that. And I discovered basketball. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was like, huh, this is this fun. <laughs> So I switched to that. Now I still play uh, uh, basketball a lot. Um, uh, I'm actually playing tonight too. But do you find, and not not to put too sharp a point on it, right? But basketball is a team sport. Five people on the court at mm. a specific time, and actually every player has their own role. Yes. If you're coached properly, like the point guard doesn't play the same role as the center. No. Right. No, and the point guard's not necessarily not necessarily the biggest or the strongest person no. either. Was the point guard, in a way, is like the CEO of a business. Yeah. Right. Where the you have the shooting guard, the strong guard, the center. And then another, like, it's an interesting game, right? Mm, mm. And all those pieces have to work together. Mm. And to be fair, today is slightly different, right? But in the old days, you could have a super team. They couldn't win mm. because the egos would get in the way. Yes. Right? Wouldn't share the, the wouldn't basketball. Wouldn't share the basketball. Mm. You have to know how to pass and move without the ball. Move without the ball, right? Right. right. This is a really important point to make when you're running a business, too. Right, because you can't just sit around and wait for things to happen. Are you moving without the ball? I think it's a great way to run a business in some way. I got it now, but you can't just sit there and do mm-hmm. nothing and wait mm-hmm. for me to pass it to you. What are you doing? Exactly. So like, do you think about that when you're yeah, yeah, running yeah. a business, when you're playing hoops? Because it's very different than tennis. It's just it, like, I got it. It's on it's, me. Leave me alone. It's very different. Like uh, One of the first uh, concepts that amazed me with Let's get to basketball before I make the analogy back. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, actually it was when I learned that in basketball you can set picks. Um, I was like, wait, you can, I can stand in, in front way. of the people and let them run into you so that they fall crash, down. fall down. Like, yep. is that legal? Is that like, it's like, 
my friend was like, oh, yeah, it's totally legal. I was like, Pick wait and roll. a minute. Pick and roll. Is that? Hey, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but um, uh, in, in any case, like, uh, you, I think you're totally on spot on um, um, in terms of like the roles. And then um, uh, it's about sharing. It's a lot about sharing, you know, uh, without uh, when you don't have the ball in your hand, uh, if you don't move, um, the, the, the formation is stuck. The ball doesn't move. Right. The, the, the person with the ball couldn't find like the passing uh, whatnot. Like, like uh, uh, it's the same as business. Like um, you got your teams, not, not like the person with the ball. I would compare that to more like a like a sales or like someone who's actually going out there to to or contribute directly to the revenue of the company. But actually, you know, you got in the back of your uh, uh, in the back end, you got developers, you got re- designers, you got all these um, you know back offices. So underrated, so important. Completely. Um, and then like the finance team and all that stuff. Uh, these guys sometimes they, they they operate around and they're supporting the the um, operation so that the revenue can grow and uh, uh, and move further. Um, and oftentimes they don't get credit for it. And I think these guys are the ones that's the same as uh, when they're on the court and the guys without the ball. You know, um, they're still as important, uh, but the the attention, the focus might not as. Like from the view from outside uh, viewers, you know, you always when you're watching basketball on TV, you're more focused on um, the guy with the ball, right? And then you don't actually look at other other people who's running around and setting up picks for other guys who run around. But those are all it, it's got to be there. Uh, you know, if if you don't do that, then it's actually not going to be as um, you the you you will not win game, uh, right. ball games. I, I find that sports teams mm. in general make a great analogy actually for running a business because there are other people you don't mm. see too. The coaching staff, the medical staff, yeah. the training staff, right? So I think one thing that separates a really successful team from a not-so-successful team and business as well is that organization as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. You can have all the same people in the same building but organized in an, in an imperfect way or mm-hmm. a less perfect way, mm-hmm. and they won't succeed to the same level. We can talk about American football teams. You mm. can talk about Barcelona. You mm. can talk about Man U. All these th- have an unbelievable organization. And in some cases, we used to say this at Goldman Sachs, the seat that I sat in, mm. right, I used to think I was great. And then one day, one of the management came over and said to me, you're pretty good, but that seat is worth $300,000 on its own. And we could probably put a monkey in that seat and probably still make three hundred grand. <laughs> so if you're not making more than that, but that was actually said to us. If you're not making more than that, what are you doing here? That is pretty cool. But that's the whole point about building, because Goldman Sachs spent years and probably two generations building an organization that mm. had leverage built into mm. it. Same thing as like the New England Patriots, right? Mm. Or, you know, pick a team, the Golden State Warriors, mm. if you want to talk about basketball. The organization is amazing, right? And it looks like, they always used to say, it looks like the coach is just doing nothing. Anybody could coach like the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. And yet, before Phil Jackson was there, they weren't winning. Mm. That organization matters. And I think that comes into play with what you're talking about. You've got to run your business, <clears throat> excuse me, in a way like a really well-oiled team. Yeah. And the organization around that team matters. And like you say, the, te- the people, the ladies and the guys without the ball really matter a lot. Mm. But you're right. Most people focus on who's the founder, who's the CEO. But you know this, right? Well, I want to come back and talk a little bit about Launchpad mm-hmm. because I see it every day mm-hmm. when I'm here. Mm-hmm. Not every day. I'm not here every day. But I see it when I'm here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I should be. Um, but there's a team in place. There is. Right? So there why don't you is. talk about a little bit about Launchpad as well. Then we'll talk more about Magic Box. But talk okay. about Launchpad because that's the beginning of this whole story for me. Mm. So you come back from school. Yep. You probably have this amazing experience mm. in the United States. Your parents aren't there. Your sister's not there. Was she your was, sister? She, she was, was there, there, right? As well, yeah? So we had that luxury of uh, that actually was great. Together, yeah. yeah, I think I remember that thinking like, wow. Because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a base you have there, right? It's yeah. a little bit of a safety net, whether you need yeah. it or not. It's just nice to know. Like, yeah, good to have a family in you know, foreign land. So nice. um, it's very nice. Yeah, I miss my brother. <laughs> it's hard having him so far away. But you come home. Mm. What do you do? Like, what are the options? What are you thinking? You know, you get on that plane finally to come back to Bangkok. And you've probably conceptualized a bunch of different ideas, conversations with your mom. You've already mm. spoken to your – like all these things have probably gone through your head. But you're still yeah. a young man, right? Yeah. Well, expectation back then was, you know, um, uh, it's – so it's a little bit uh, – I kind of I figured some stuff out since I was back in the States. that I, I like doing new things. I like starting businesses. So actually, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but um, uh, back in the States – 
Excuse me. Uh, since my time in uh, Carnegie Mellon, like uh, in my third year, um, I was already very into um, innovation, into uh, starting new businesses. I think it's fascinating. Um, I actually, back then, um, most people would, like for the internship, we have like a course project, right? And then where we would be paired into like a, a, put into groups and then go into do like a consulting work or do like a, it's like a, a capstone project kind of thing. Okay. And did um, you get to choose your teammates or they were just assigned to you? So uh, you, you can choose and also like, uh, or if you don't, then they'll assign it to you. But then most of the time, like people, I, I pick my own because we are doing different things. Right. Like most people would, would get assigned into teams and then uh, be put into like, you know, uh, uh, working at IBM, uh, HP back at that, that back Accenture, the <laughs> um, all these companies, right? Um, uh, Booz Allen. Um, for, for myself, like, I actually did something different, so I did a, a like a, a, I pitched my own project instead. So I didn't work for a big company back then. I had the chance to, but uh, we had this this idea since back then. We were working on this idea called Smart Mirror. So we were working with RFID technology, putting them into like clothings, and uh, putting a reader behind like the fitting room uh, mirrors, and then it detects whatever whatever you're wearing, and then uh, it brings up like a suggestion to your on well. The concept is we want it to be on a mirror, right. but uh, back then there was wasn't that uh, kind of technology. Or it was very expensive, so we just had like a touch screen LCD screen on the uh, side of the mirror, and then uh, where you can interact with the stuff there. So what it do? It would simulate almost augmented reality, like it is suggestions for me suggestion. for things that would match with the yeah. shirt or the pants or whatever. Yeah, because the out. pain was that like you know CMU, um, we're a bunch of very technology-centric people, uh, a.k.a. geeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're not very that much into, like, um, uh, fashions. Fashion. So no always have wear, problems with, like, what should I wear today? <laughs> right. You know, I pick... Solving your own problem. Yeah, so so we all share that. So we came came into, like, a um, realization that, hey, we should do this thing. So when you go into the, the fitting room, and then you know exactly what tie will go well with this, and then uh, the store would end up, like, making more money from uh, suggestions, suggested yep. sales and whatnot. Um, uh, so, so we did that back then in the states as our capstone project, and actually uh, got some funding from um, since well, from the school and also from like a, a, a private organizations there, and then uh, I think it's from the government as well. But um, you did this all in Pittsburgh properly. Yeah, so you yeah. didn't go to Boston to do it or no, go to New York or whatever. No, we you did that did in school. Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh is actually, uh, you know, the headquarters also of like American Eagle Outfitters. Um, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, the headquarters there. Um, so we were able to leverage quite a bit of connection there, and sure. we could talk. I had a chance to talk to like some of the VPs at like Macy's and Nordstrom of. Abercrombie of Gap of all these places to like get like um, uh, the feedback. Um, I still remember we were just doing like cold calls and then uh, from from, I mean it's not as easy as as I say it will. No, be it's okay. Like, Graham and I were talking about cold calling earlier. It's yeah. hard. It's like slog. It's a slog. Mm. We know that. And then uh, I hate it. We needed like also like test the concept store. So we walked into over like. Uh, Twenty clothing places like, to just ask them. Hey, can yeah, I? Yeah, can this I? Here? Can I do what this? And can I say? run it in your in your store? It'll be nice. And I just walk up to them. Hey, can I talk to the manager? Right. And oh, we bunch of CMU bunch kids. Of kids. Yeah. And, uh, we're doing this research project. Bunch of geeks walking. So um, that we did that, and then uh, ended up uh, partnering with a company, which well, well a boutique store there. So uh, it's called uh, Charles uh, Spiegel. I think he just retired this year. Okay. Um, but very, a local sort of haberdasher. Yeah, but then they, he, he does more like a boutique store, uh, very high end. Uh, yep. He's like all the Steelers, um, right. um, uh, athletes, they, the, the players, they go do their fittings and everything there. So uh, we tested out there. We tagged more than like, I think, Six or seven hundred pieces of clothing, um, just to as a t- pilot, right? So you tagged them with just off-the-shelf RFID chips. Mm. We did the research with RFID. We bought the reader. We created the system. We, uh, yeah, we code. We created everything. It was a working prototype. So um, everything was done. We rolled it out. Uh, one thing we found out was actually like this kind of solution is not meant for boutique stores. 
when people go into boutique stores, you don't want to talk to machines. You want right, to be taken humans. care of by like um, you know uh, clerks and then like uh, the the professionals who 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 are, who knows about fashion. Well, that's why they're paying extra, right? They're paying exactly. extra for that service. Yeah, and this was again in two thousand nine. So that was during the crash of uh, economy uh, uh, during the. It was right after the global financial crisis. So it is, 2007, 2008 was just a complete mess. It was bad. And in nine, we had like the, the subprime, right? Or is that yeah. The, I mean, it was the end of the subprime. Around there. The, so it was horrible back then. Um, um, and, you know, the, we, we pitched to uh, American Eagle. We want to put it into some of the stores. But, you know, it's actually... It's going to cost them some money. But they weren't and investing in CapEx. No, at the they would. That's they're cutting down on marketing um, sure. budget. So that's like they where, where there's no proof of concept. There's nothing, so they couldn't invest into it. And they have this in-store experience thing that they have to carry out into every store. Right. So um, uh, we. That's why we went uh, and then did it with like a boutique store first. But after we we installed it, tested out for like a couple months. Um, um, we still have like we only spent about twenty or thirty percent of the, the the funding that we got, so we had like a lot left, and then ended up um, we just like realized that there wasn't enough like traction. It's too difficult back then, so uh, we just called it off. Um, so what kind of what kind of like how did you get evaluated for this project? Like was it shocking to the school that you could actually get the chips into clothing to build the software to get the tablet installed? And to actually have you know, people look at no. it, or they just were like, "Yeah, this is normal." It's, it's, Kids from it's CMU normal for this CMU. All the time. It's a very you guys are nothing. Yeah, that's that's it's nothing special back then. <laughs> it's so like uh, back then I didn't even know. It sounds pretty cool now. It sounds back super then, cool now. I was thinking about it. I was like, "We're so lame. anyone can do this. Right. Come on!" <laughs> and uh, so so um, yeah, but that was that's the standard of of. Of um, the technology, uh, the the pace that everyone's moving at uh, at CMU. Um, right. I mean, that's almost ten years ago, eight years ago. For eight sure, years ago, yeah. eight years ago. Um, so yeah, and then after after that, then like some of my my co-founders uh, had obligations with like IBM, so he got he was on. Um, uh, this was what post graduation. Yeah, post post grad. So he he had like a contract to go work for them uh, right after. So. Mm-hmm. After that, then we kind of like broke off. Uh, my family also called me back. Uh, like, my dad was like, "Hey, you know, I'm not gonna be here forever." So, um, yeah, what are you still doing in the states? I don't see you very often. Blah blah. So, came back. Um, I did. I helped out. Well, not really helped out. I I came in to learn things at my family businesses. But what was that? Fe- I really want to know. Like, on the other. What was that feeling on the way home when you finally decided to leave? Hmm. I was ready back then. I was, I was ready um, because I, I get to try out everything. I gave it my all right. um, uh, on that. And um, I just know that uh, if we don't pivot, uh, uh, then it's, it's better to call it off. Fair enough. Um, but I didn't have the luxury of pivoting. In, right. this, in this sense, it's not the capital. It's the time. Time. Uh, an obligation that... Uh, 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 that I kind of, the promise that I've given to my family that like you know if this thing doesn't take off uh, I'm within home. like yeah a year afterwards like I'm I'm going home, um, yeah so so that was that and Got it. so I was quite ready actually and when so that wasn't that difficult for me back then okay and when I came back helped out uh, with the family learned things a little bit uh, that was when I discovered the culture clash. Um, we start realizing, you know, the differences between, um, you know, in, in school they taught us how to manage, how to manage consulting teams, how to manage teamwork, how to manage developers, how to manage, not to really design it, I learned that later, but, okay. then, um, but then, you know, business, uh, finance, and all that stuff. But um, we were operating, what they did not teach us was actually how to operate in... Um, a developing environment, developing country uh, with human resources in, in there. So uh, the, you got to understand that all the people I've been working with for the past five years in CMU or in Pittsburgh right. are of um, very 
I didn't think like I was working very smart people back then, but then they were actually very smart. Now that I realize it, and but this I is what we talked about. Right? You only yeah. know what you know, right? Yeah. And if that's your norm, exactly. Right, because I have a concept that, that I don't think I've shared with you before. But like, if the world is just like a standing ruler, mm. without talking about class or wealth or even education, mm. there's only a certain number of people with whom you interact, and that group with whom you interact, no matter where it is along that scale, that's your norm. Mm. And when you operate inside that norm on a regular basis, when you move outside of that norm, whatever it is, everything just seems strange, right? So <clears throat> if, you're a, if you're a taxi driver and the greatest tax earning taxi driver in any city, but then you step out of that and just run into a bunch of, I don't know, cake makers, they just look weird to you. <laughs> like, what are they doing? Yeah. I don't understand icing. Yeah. I don't understand frosting. What is yeast? Like, none of it makes <laughs> sense, right? But you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. It's not about class. Mm. It's not, it's not about it's money not. at all. It's just different. It's just what's your norm. Yep. And that's, I find it hard to explain that concept to people, but that's what you're saying is that yes. I was with all these people and those were my normal geeky whatever friends mm -hmm. and I just thought that was regular. Mm -hmm. And then when I left that environment, I found out, I mean, it was normal at that point, but it's not normal. What yeah. normal means, right? Right. But um, uh, it's, it's more, you touched on it, uh, I think, like the differences. And once you're put into a, a, a different norm, then uh, for me, I got to relearn uh, that sure. whole thing. Um, and, and I mean, to me, I, I have one, when, when I'm put onto a task and when I'm doing something, I always have a goal. Um, let's say for it to, like, you know, increase efficiency of a factory or, or or make a uh, reduce redundancies, or uh, um, you know, increase the profit, reduce the cost, whatnot, right? Um, but uh, what I had to relearn um, was actually how to do this within a, a different environment, different settings, and I think that's where experience comes into play. So yeah. when you're very green, um, right. just graduated, uh, you didn't have that kind of experience. You haven't met that many people. You haven't met. Uh, haven't experienced that many norms, different norms. Right. So um, I was excited to learn um, back then. Uh, I was very, I kind of I knew it was going to be different. I didn't know, uh, didn't know well enough that it was going to be that different. Right. But uh, I'll give you an example. It was Please. like actually um, when I came back, I had to go help out in the family's factory, which was a rice factory. Okay, so, so rice processing. Rice processing, harvested. yeah. Um, so anything from, you know, uh, weighing station for into like de-stoning, polishing, uh, sorting, uh, packaging, and loading and logistics and all that. And it's very labor-intensive uh, uh, um, industry or, or a plant. And, and you know, the, the type of what I learned in school was the three most difficult things, uh, actually, the three constraints, right, for project management. I love like this. People, the well, for IS, people process the technology. Okay. And everyone always say, oh, people is the most difficult part that's difficult to manage of every businesses. So well, I thought, like, okay, people problem that I, in my business course, uh, classes, and I learn about, like, you know, all these organizational behavior stuff, you know, all the storming, norming, and all those different things. And... Uh, when I went to the site, uh, one thing I learned was actually like, you know, I was lost how to apply what I learned to this new environment because all the problems was, people problem is so different. It's about, uh, you know, these are, these are uh, labor workers, right? So their problems becomes um, alcohol, yeah. uh, becomes like um, this guy having an affair with like this guy's wife. Inside uh, the factory, inside, or inside the, the factory, plant, or inside the town. Ins yeah, and then they were like, uh, you know, sleeping during work, or, like uh, gone missing or right. something like that, like and ran away. Uh, and this but is reality. Not teaching you this in school. Yeah, but this is reality. You know, so I felt like, wow, I went from one end of the spectrum to the other end right, right away. Like, uh, uh, so I did that. It was it was fun. It was um, fun. It was challenging. Um, and at the same time, when I started working at, uh, I decided I want to uh, get some more experience from working in like uh, in in the in in learning about different norm from in the Bangkok scene of like a professional company. Um, right. So I went to get a job at uh, Deloitte. Um, so I work at Deloitte, uh, international firm, but then here it become very local, localized, <laughs> like uh, like I said, a local branch. Um, so. Uh, I I did my, I did that's that was my first official full time job uh, uh, as an employee 
and I, I did it. I was working in IT auditing. So okay. that was pretty cool. Like I got to see like how the big companies here, uh, they work in, in, in Thailand, like all the major companies, you know, Starbucks, all the major banks, all this other big like auto manufacturers. And we get to see all that, all their like information <laughs> and they would treat us like very nicely because they, we're auditing. Yeah, you're auditing them. <laughs> <I> help you? <laughs> so, uh, that was, that was good. Um, but after like a, uh, a year, it kind of like everything starts to get mundane. Yep. Um, so I switched jobs and I went to Thomson Reuters, uh, Thomson Reuters, uh, software. So I was working with, uh, started, uh, work, working with, uh, um, FX, uh, foreign exchange and money market. What were you doing there? I was the business analyst. So basically I had to translate business requirements to uh, software. To yeah, to software requirements. So it's like translator between business side and the development side, designers and then QA as well. So I was like, um, uh, I had to talk to like the product guys from like uh, the states, from London, from all these places, and then um, do consolidate everything into requirements and then give them to the team and guide them and then uh, see how the how the product comes out. Right. Um, so did that for another year, and during at that time, that's when I. Uh, uh, had a couple of uh, pretty cool ideas, and then uh, I, I thought I wanted to start out, um, reignite my passion as like an entrepreneur or startup, uh, startup again. So that's where I started coming out to do my own stuff, and then leading to towards Launchpad. And uh, we actually started off, uh, I think, with a um, outsource app development, charge concept, which we yep. talked about earlier. Right. So we were doing outsource uh, development for uh, Japanese clients. We were doing uh, for some high-end like uh, uh, Thai uh, clients as well. So you built basically a software development house that did outsourcing yeah. software development. Yeah, and we all at the same time, we also create our own apps, our own um, websites. Uh, uh, we had this thing called like Cuddly ABC, which was a, a it was like a alphabet teaching apps for little kids and I actually voice at myself so you press the thing and say hey apple hey apple and <laughs> that was you that was me that, that was, was me. awesome so that was pretty cool that's um, really cool um and we did a bunch of like these creative um now useless apps, <laughs> <laughs> useless apps. Uh, which, which platform were you writing for back then? we were we were Oh, both on iOS and Android. Okay, but so it, was we were, still mo- it was all mobile. All mobile. Uh, Even back then. And web as now. well. We, we did some web dev as well. So um, we were just focused on web and mobile. Um, so we were very early in um, yeah. on this. Um, and uh, did, uh, and then we moved on to, to you know, we need to hire peop- more people as the team grows, uh, gets bigger. And, and we decided that we need to have an office Back back then, I was working off from my my uh, house, working off based on like some cafes. But were there any were there any co working spaces then? Back then, there I was one so. called the first one I've heard of is called I think Third Place, Third Place, Third Space. Uh, either one. It. Where was it? It was on the Opus Building in Tonglo. So I ten. Opus Building in Tonglo. Okay, Tong, in ten, yeah. Tonglo. So I ten. So it's ten. right at the, uh, the corner. The corner. Ah, I know where it is. Up on the in, second floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Next to the dance studio. That's. I, know exactly I think where it that's is. the first. I was there actually. I went there. Yeah. I didn't know what it was called. Yeah, yeah. But it was it's like hundred and fifty baht a day, and you got a free cup of coffee. Something. Or something yeah, like that. exactly. Yeah, that place. I and went there. That was where uh, I think Rocket Internet, when they first came to Thailand, could have been. They they did uh, mass hiring there, and then actually put a pretty bad rep <laughs> for themselves there. I, I don't think that's changed. <laughs> so that's just my bias. Yeah. So um, that's that's that, and um, we uh, that's where I was. I, I was exposed to the concept of co-working. Uh, actually, I met um, uh, Aim, uh, uh, Haba founder there. Oh, right. Um, and we discussed, like, uh, he was telling me about, like, okay, they're going to do, like, a branch in Ekamai. And right. I was like, hey, I have a space that I'm thinking of doing an office. Like, what can we do? So, um, and I was telling him I want to make it into, like, a kind of shared office right. for, like, a mobile dev, uh, uh, mobile developers for, like, a web dev um, here. So that's where, actually... Uh, it all got like um, 
solidified before it's just an idea i was looking for a space to work as well and uh, the space down uh, downstairs at the building is vacant and um so i was like hey this is a good idea why don't we like uh, you know uh, i need i need a bigger space i want a nice office space yep. similar to the incubator that i was working off from the states okay um and um you know i i, I don't have to pay the whole like where you share rent, it. it's yeah. a shared office. So in the beginning, I was like, okay, a, uh, the whole space is 880 square meters. So um, let's say I take out 50, um, and then <laughs> you're gonna rent out the divide, other yeah, and then everything else is just fine. Like you know, 10 or 15 other companies like myself back then. Right. Like, come on, everyone wants to have everyone this. wants that. <laughs> easy back then. Back then, in my mindset, I was like, oh, easy. Yeah, this is gonna. And then the pricing is so cheap. <laughs> Compared to the states, right. come on! Like, Everybody's in. Yeah, and one day is less than ten bucks. It's like eight dollars. Right. Uh, this is the easiest like, business I've ever conceived. I know, right? <laughs> and then, well, then reality hits again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but but before then, I, I did realize the need because I was working off uh, from my house. Mm-hmm. I was working off from uh, cafe. Uh, we had like a four four man team back then, very small team, just doing like a startup of doing app development, right? Right. And um, each of the solution would have their own uh, drawbacks. So I was working off uh, at my house, like, and then, you know, my mom would be calling me and like, "Hey, um, do you want to uh, eat lunch today?" And right. I was like, I was on the call with right. a client. Mom, I've got a client. I was from like, Japan. "Stop." Yeah, yeah. And that's why she doesn't know that, right? So she's no, not she, she, interrupting. She did not. She she's did a businesswoman not. herself, right? Yeah. So she knows that. Yes. It was it was just a suboptimal, uh, let's say. Yeah, and I had two dogs back then. <laughs> you know, they were barking, barking. On, on the call. Like, oh man, this is not working. <laughs> and um, the worst was actually my granny. She lives next door. We live in like a, a compound housing. Right. So she would go around. She'd be like. What is Vincent doing? Is he working? He's bumming out in his home. Knocking on the door. Why isn't he going to work? work? <laughs> I was like, oh, this is my work. Right. Calling your mother. Yeah, exactly. Your so your that's the downside not- of, of working at home. The upside right. is like you can focus uh, uh, when when you focus, <laughs> when you're not distracted by like what's on YouTube or the gaming calls and whatnot. Right. Um and then, uh, so so we started changing the routine, going to work in cafes. So um, I have to, I never actually get to thank the guys at uh, uh, Coffee World, this cafe branch in Central World, um, because, you know, I actually, uh, we were working off at that cafe for eight hours a day. Right. We go there at 10 a.m. until like 5 or 6 p.m. Have a couple of cups of coffee, maybe a one, sandwich. Just one cup. <laughs> one cup of coffee. Just one cup of coffee, and then we sat there for the whole day using their internet and their charge, uh, their electricity. So um, um, if they're listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry in you retrospect. <laughs> um, and the most ridiculous part was actually I, I got to a point where you know, I brought my own lunchbox to go eat there. <laughs> so that was um, that was pretty. Did fun. you bring food for the staff as well? Yes, like I have did. A little extra I left did. over. You did, I, though, did. Right? I did. But I did ask the permission from the, the sure. staff at Coffee World. They say, "Okay, no problem." Right. It's like, "Oh, great! All right." Um, so uh, that was four people, and then when we expanded to six, um, we realized, you know. It's, it doesn't work. But even back anymore. then, the internet speeds weren't that fast, and it wasn't that Mm-mm. super reliable. I presume there was a lot of, not frustration, but just sort of, are you logged on? Do you have access kind of? Yeah. Time? The worst part was, you know, if I arrived early, and I was the first one to get to the cafe to right. start working, yep. and I need to go use the restroom. Yep. Oh, excuse me. Uh, that would, then, then I... I would not feel comfortable like leaving my stuff on the table. Right. Then I ended up having to pack everything, go Take to the toilet, and come back. And come back, and then sometimes the seat would already be taken. Right. So I used to do this at Eight Tong Law, right? What's the name of the coffee shop um, there? Um, Barstoria. Oh, yeah. Right, Barstoria. Great cup of yeah. coffee, great little cafe. Uh-huh. But again, same thing. The internet capacity there was only yeah. good enough for like five or six people. Right. And periodically, I would have to go upstairs and use the men's room. Mm. And just say to the barista, can you watch my stuff? Mm. Because unlike you, I'm not taking it with me. <laughs> but also, if if I closed my laptop, uh-huh. I'd lose my connection. Yeah. And if I lose my connection when I come back, I can't get it again. But because I understand 
networking, uh-huh. I would just say to them, can you on and off the thing? Because I can't get access anymore. They don't know reset. it's going to knock everybody else up. Reset uh-huh. it. So they'd reset it. I'd go back in and then keep like working. the first one to connect. This first one to connect. <laughs> yeah. So I have to apologize as well <laughs> for everybody else that was there. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so, so, what, so you finally decided. Yeah, then we, we decided that we need to have an office. Right. Uh, we need to expand to six people and... Um, it got to a point. I also understood that um, when we were recruiting, you know, recruiting great developers or great designers, right. they, it's not just about monetary value. It's about yep. environment. It's yep. about, you know, because we people we were recruiting are like probably the millennials already, like early millennials yep. back then. And, and they, they do care a lot about like, um, you know, uh, house or workplace. I don't want to work in cubicles. I don't want to do that. Yep. So the community around it matters. Mm-hmm. Again, Graham and I talk about this all the time. How do you build that community so that it's self-sustaining, right. right? Right. So that's all that combined, um, everything, and um, with the opportunity, then I decided to to uh, start doing uh, uh, creating launchpad downstairs. Right. And yeah, it didn't go out. Didn't go as planned at all for the first two years. Was it that long? First, uh, definitely, first year was very difficult. It could have been though. So, what what year did the doors open? Where you just said, "Okay, Launchpad is launched," for lack mm. of a better term. Everybody's welcome. Mm, I, I think it's in the 2012. It was right. It was, yeah, yeah, I think it was. Because I think I was still sitting at Arden Capital get, up yeah. at the top of the street, right? Yeah. Because I know yeah. I was down yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Back then, I know I was down I here back then, and I know you guys came up to the office because I'm pretty sure that's how we met at some level. I don't mm. remember. Yeah, I did. Back then, I still remember John was there too, right? Yep. I didn't see Paul back then. I think I saw Paul a couple of days ago, actually. Oh. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, and then, and then um, so when we first opened, the challenge was peop- the Thai people very different um, behavior than the uh, the what I learned in the states. Like people in in the states is much more. Uh, curious and, and, and bold into like to like if you see something new that look nice you want to go in and ask what it uh, what it is right here the ties is um, the mindset is different Tell if me. it's new it's uh, look too nice they don't dare to go in um, uh-huh. and they, they they would question twice they would they don't even <clears> want to ask what it is because they think it looked too nice so what embarrassed to c- come in and go oh I can't go in there so I'm just gonna leave and that's yeah and then face yeah yeah and then they start having um, this uh, rumors going around that uh, saying that this is like uh, they they start making um, uh, their own definition of what launchpad was <laughs> nice. which was a furniture uh, store <laughs> Which it wasn't we, that no, <laughs> so <laughs> Ever. it's quite funny. And then we start pulling it in more events, organizing more events. Right. So uh, dragging, getting more people in, spreading the words, and then um, uh, a lot of credit to uh, the guys at Hubba for uh, I think also like um, get spreading the PR about the co-working, uh, what co-working space is. Yep. Um, we we did catch a lot of that wave. Yep. Um, and then a lot of people came in um, uh, and then started accepting, embracing concept more and more. So I would think it's not until like the third year that we start like going cash flow. Um, uh, well, we were po- cash, flow, cash flow positive in second year, actually, um, because we, we, we also helped out um, with... Uh, the incubation program with True and Cube. I remember they um, were based here, not based yeah. here, but they did a lot of stuff here. Yeah, yeah so we we did outline the pro- program for them. We did <clears throat> consult for that. Uh, we did hold all the events. We execute everything um, back then, the first and second batch, and right. they also based here. Mm. So uh, we were able to to sustain ourselves from those programs. Right. But um, really, not not from not from like desk rental, not from right. a day daily um, usage. Not it's not the same as as now. So, but isn't that interesting? So you learned. I mean, you learned so many things. Mm. We could do a whole podcast actually, and just what you learned from building the RFID business <laughs> and the fashion business. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, mm-hmm. But you fast forward to the launchpad business. You have a concept, mm-hmm. a way you expect people to behave, mm-hmm. and then the behavior is completely different. Mm-hmm. Again, similar to what you saw mm-hmm. in the factory. Right? You expect human resources and organizational behavior management to go a certain way. Yeah, and yet it doesn't. So you learn. I don't want to use the word pivoting, but it's there. Mm. You kind of pivot, like, how can I get revenue? Well, I can partner with True and Cube. I can start doing these events here, and then people will understand better. And then people externally will see it's not a furniture store, right? Seriously, and they'll walk by and say, "Oh, now they're having an event on it. I want there are 
50 people in there, so it's not so exclusive that I can't even just poke my head in because no one's going to notice me. Mm -hmm. I wonder what's going on in mm -hmm. there. I ask the front desk. It's a co-working space. And then they tell their friends, it's not a furniture store. But seriously, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the way that works at yeah. some level, yeah? Yeah. I think, I think you got it right. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I think even back then, the most difficult part was um, when, you ex when they, came, they came in to ask. Uh, another thing I learned about marketing is uh, uh, it's very difficult to market two products at once. So never get stuck in that position. Um, but what do, like you, what do how, you mean? So, so basically, like uh, you know, when they when Launchpad, right? Yep. We cannot market it as a co-working space back then. Now we can. Back then, we can We could not because. So, what were you marketing as back um, then? Then, in the beginning, we just we we, we marketed as a co-working space, right. and that didn't work. That didn't work because no one understand what a co-working space is back then. So, if you if you're trying to market your brand, which is myself for my case, Launchpad, right. as another concept that the public doesn't understand and right. it's basically you know it doesn't work like like launchpad is a co-working space what the hell is a co-working space right. like, so now you're because the message is not clear right. everything is is broken so um no matter how much money you spent or pour into the ads it's it's not gonna return right because people it just hits people and exactly. they're like i don't know what that means yep. and i'm not gonna find out so you got uh, two options first um Either educate people with what, what a co-working space is. Right. Second is um, just market uh, the brand as something uh, that people understand. Um, like, I mean, going back, uh, if I can rewind back then, Please. I would not market this place as a co-working space. I would say it is a new style of uh, 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 office. It's an office in a new way, in a new way. And then get people so to... So just call it an office. This is what we talk about, right? What is the thing that you have? Even if it's completely new, mm -hmm. you just put it in a box that people understand. Exactly. And right? this is so important um, because if you market it as something that people don't understand, you're, you're wasting your money. This is really interesting to me though, right? Because we talked about this. And that is, you can come up with a newfangled idea, right? It's going to be a co-working space. It's the new thing. And people are like... What I don't heck? get it. <laughs> but or you exactly. can just go, it's an office mm -hmm. where it's different. Mm -hmm. I know what an office mm -hmm. is. Let me find out what the difference is. Mm -hmm. And then they start opening up. There's a big difference between walking in or trying to buy a thing that you understand and you don't understand. Sure. So let's say you have an idea where you want to create like a different kind of venture capital company. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seriously. And instead of going out and getting four large LPs that give you $10 million a piece, you just get 50 people. Mm -hmm to give you $50,000 a piece. Mm -hmm. You tell them it's like a venture capital business. They understand mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And they understand the value in that. And if you want to build it in a newfangled way, well then once you get it all together, people start to understand that you're an investment company. Then you can change the way you market that vehicle because the vehicle itself is already self-sustaining, it's already built. The same thing, right? Which actually, you know, people have been trying to like in the beginning days of my um, my my career uh, path into like um, uh, entrepreneurship or startup, right? I was trying to understand what a VC is, and in the beginning, and everyone has been trying to give all these like, explanations. Actually, you know, it's just it's just a very high risk, high return investment. Yeah. So that's well, think about it. It's in the name, right? Venture. Huh? Is it an adventure? I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Capital. At the capital of a country, like mm -hmm. the two words together don't mm -hmm. really mean anything unless mm -hmm. you know. Like, just go like this: it's an investment business with high risk, high return. Done. I get that, and everyone Thank understands. You. Never and mind. Then, I don't need then, an explanation. Then you show people what's all these like portfolios that you're doing, and then oh, this is pretty cool. It's a new type uh, uh, drugs, new type of drugs that can cure like this thing. You, this is like a, a drone that can do. And then people go, wow, wow, wow interesting. Right. Now they understand. What well, if you go right into their face and? They, what? what are you doing? <laughs> no and then they, they're going to pretend like, oh, yeah, I understand, because they don't want to look dumb. <laughs> then, look oh, dumb, yeah, I understand. Right. Uh, I know what that is. Co-working, awesome. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm out of here. Right? What the heck is it? <laughs> I'm not going to use it. I'm not so, going to do that. Um, yeah, that's, that's something I learned. Uh, I think it's very uh, important revelation in, in, in my, my, my career as good well. Good point, actually. Mm. That's a really good point. Mm. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, so, no, go ahead. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't market two products or two things at the same time, you were no, saying? No, no. But it's it's so difficult, you know, to 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 realize that, and um, uh, to to be able to catch it, and then uh, before uh, uh, um, before it happened. So usually, it's very easy to to spot it in hindsight. In retrospect, yeah. Yeah, in, in retrospect. retrospect. Yep. Um, but when you're in there, you're like, 
Hey, I want to drive this. I want it to be successful. Why don't people understand this? You know, this is the best thing that exactly. people don't understand yeah. ever. Right? But you got to realize that actually the business is not about you. It's about um, who's surrounding it. So let's say I, I need to sell something to um, the, the group of uh, labor worker in yep. my factory. In the factory, you know, I gotta learn their language first. Yep. Yep. I gotta learn their needs. I gotta I go in. Hey, you want to come use a co-working space? The bad example, but nobody, <laughs> they nobody, do actually, not use it anyway. Actually, no, but actually, it's a great example. <laughs> yeah, because even if they have an entrepreneurial mindset and they're thinking about starting their own business, right? Mm. They understand the rice business. Maybe they met some guy on their only flight to Malaysia who actually sells rice, I don't know what you call mm -hmm, it, like mm -hmm. a stoning machine, whatever it is, or you Millers, or, Millers or, whatever. or whatever. And they're like, I'm going to start a business that sells the milling machine back to this company. I'm going to do that. I need an office, but I don't need a big office. I can't rent a full office. Theoretically, they want to work in a co-working space. Mm -hmm. But if you tell them that, they're like, Never I can't deal with co-working spaces. I need an office, right? Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. You have the office but you're not calling it that, they'll never get it because they've already made the leap of faith into just starting their own business. So you're right, actually. Right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah so, so in that aspect, like, um, I mean, throughout my years at Launchpad, I, 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 I kind of picked that up, learned it, and um, uh, now trying to adopt it. I did not uh, succeed at doing this with um, my next venture, though. Like, uh, so, so... Magic Box, right? Let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that. Like, uh, so after Launchpad uh, is established, I got an office. Uh, we spun um, Charge Concept into Magic Box, actually. Right. Yep. And um, that's where we actually raised a lot of capital. What well, good, good amount? Um, not not big amount, but good seed investment. And uh, we did get traction. We did get all that. Um, so that was, I think, our first success case, real success case as a startup, a gaming startup. Awesome. Um, and. But uh, we were we were publishing or distributing games to a bunch of very niche group of uh, players, and and, uh, and uh, I did not I did not realize that I know that this niche group of players like this type of game, but they are still in a niche group. If we're gonna scale to a bigger uh, curve or bigger uh, audience, we need to realize what kind of games that that mass or bigger audience likes uh, uh, to play. And back then was actually, um, you know, the Thai audience really liked these uh, um, games with uh, illegal IPs. <laughs> um, <laughs> they love it. And then um, I, I mean, I didn't hear any of that, by the way. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's. That's so. In my in my uh, uh, my own opinion, right? I, I want to exist for a long time. I want to be in sure. this business for a long time. Yep. So I don't want to do any participate in any any type of because you don't uh, want to come later. No, I don't. Yeah. And um, but actually, in the entertainment business, you, I would say you need to. Otherwise, if you don't do it, you'll get eaten, and and then you'll be beaten. Everything's a remake. Yeah, it just is. I'm sure you've seen yeah. the video, but everything's a remake at some level, right? Yeah. So, so, so uh, uh, we didn't change fast enough. We didn't realize that, and we let um, uh, we let our own um, uh, I would say like uh, we let your own understanding, morality, yeah. your own morality get in the way. Right? Yeah, and, and that's good way. and bad, right? Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> I wouldn't say that it was not correct. I think back then it was the more the in, the the choice of higher integrity, <laughs> but uh, but um, but uh, it it goes in many perspectives, many aspects, and um, you know uh, we didn't adopt fast enough, we didn't realize fast enough that this is what the the people like. Like uh, a lot of players here like Chinese game, they like uh, Korean games, um, but we kept sticking to our uh, user base, which is uh, right. Japanese game players. So um, uh, and then the gaming world shifted so fast. And uh, so, so uh, we would not be able to compete at a level that we would like to be by, uh, uh, with with the um, uh, in this in in the gaming publishing industry. But we did pivot. So now we we shifted ourselves into more like a service provider. We still have know how. We are pretty damn good at it. Um, we are pretty good at uh, coding and graphics. So we are spinning everything we learn from um, gaming into. Um, into uh, applying it to like uh, everyday businesses. So right now we're creating also like a, a new CRM platform where we're creating from from what we learn from gaming. So 
big data is it's like we we do that like every right. in your every sleep second. Because, yeah, yeah, because it's, data is something that a gaming company should know by definition. Yeah, that's like our basic. So right. um, we just need to apply that to normal businesses and enable the normal businesses to do so many more things. And um, we're going after the long tail right now, so we're not going uh, after enterprise solutions yet. Um, because there's so many entrenched competitors in there. Yep. And long tails, is they cannot afford big data. So we're, we're doing something in, in there right now, and uh, we're launching some that in next month. Uh, we've got some test clients. So so that's a new stuff we're doing. But this is actually this is actually a great place to end, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Because it's another excuse for me to come back. and find, okay. I, like to, I like to find out progress, right? Mm-hmm. And so we always talk about how ATP stories tell stories. Like, if you think about it, we talked about this before we started recording, but we didn't talk about any particular thing, mm. but just how we got to this point. Mm, mm. And I think that's what people really care about. Mm. But the great thing is you almost created a natural segue <laughs> into the next conversation, whether that's you good. did it on purpose or not. Maybe that's just your marketing genes coming out. Maybe. But creating, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and if it is, well played. But it's a, it's a great place to stop, actually. Um, and I think you'll agree, like, the time passed way faster than I thought it was going to pass, right? And that's the great thing about having a great conversation with great people. Um, <clears throat> why don't we do this? Why don't we agree to come back later and talk more? You're good at it. I know. <laughs> right, I'm good at right. it, too. <laughs> you can Sounds point good. to me all you like, but it's all, it is what it is. Um, but I'd like to thank you. No, you're very Simon welcome. I really appreciate it. It's fun doing this. I mean, uh, you know, not every day we get to talk to um, or, or tell the stories, right. and and you know I'm not the type of person that I think uh, I'm ready to um, you know to to be to be sharing everything yet um, because I don't think I'm 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 at like that 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 level I want to be yet. Well, so, humility is a great trait, right? What humility? Yeah, being humble yeah. is a great trait, right? Mm-hmm. It comes in really handy actually I, because. I, I, it it eliminates the the possibility of hubris, mm. and yeah. and the thing is like so. But in this kind of talk, is kind of more casual. Yep. You know, um, so uh, not saying anything is right or wrong, but it's no. just like what I've been just through. what you've been doing. That's the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. And and if like if anything, if anyone can pick up or, or learn a, a few things or two, from that, I think it's going to be great. That's the beauty of the story. So Vincent Satyuan. All right, thank CEO, you so don't much. Don't leave yet. CEO, yeah. co-founder, Magic Box, CEO, co-founder, Launchpad. Launchpad. You've been doing this from the beginning. Yes. I really want to thank you for your time. No, thank you, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a good one. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.